0: This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we are looking at what is changing in the industry. And we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes in the industry, with the exception of today. It's just Dan and I, and uh, my name is Donnie Shelton, tri- owner of Triangle Home Services. We have Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. If you listen to the podcast, you probably have heard this a thousand times. I'm also the CEO of Cool March, which does digital uh, marketing and sales services for the pest and lawn industries. And with me, as always, is the highly esteemed, highly sought after rock star of the pest and lawn industries, can I you want me to keep going, Dan? I mean, I mean.
0: Yeah, I, uh, so uh good morning everyone or good afternoon <laughs> whenever you're listening to this. Uh, so, uh, uh Dan Gordon here, PCO bookkeepers, PCO MNO and uh specialists, um Donnie, I I was actually in the South Carolina um Pest Management Association show, and they had a little banner with my picture on it. And Donnie sent me a picture of it, but
1: somebody drew a mustache on it. So I was wondering uh, who did that. (laughs) (laughs) And it is a it is a fantastic picture. Maybe we need to include it on the show notes because it is it's not just like any. Mustache. It's like the thin pencil mustache with maybe a bit of a goatee. So, anyway, so maybe we'll, think we'll include. The, I'm there. thinking that you. I'm thinking that you drew it on there, but no, no, but who, knows. who knows? So, it's who, knows? who knows? Yeah. Um. So, anyway. Dan, I was gonna say. So, this is gonna be. Uh, I'm actually excited about this episode. You know, at, at the beginning of the year, Dan and I decided that we would mix up the episodes a bit, and that we would also include episodes of just kind of. In the trenches, things to think about, just Dan and I. Um, you know, obviously we love our guests that we have on and sometimes, you know, our topics are all over the place. But we wanted to include a series where, hey, you're in the trenches. Let's just have a chat. And, that, and that's what this episode is. And, and the topic today is what is the essential field tech? And um, before we get into this, I. Um, You know, as always, if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple and Spotify or however you listen to us on our podcast. We get highly paid for this podcast, meaning that we don't get paid. And, uh, you know, a good way to put the tip in the tip jar is just let other folks know about the podcast. We, You know, our goal in this podcast is to help folks grow their business. And so that helps us do that. So, Dan, I interrupted you before I said that. So go ahead and start. What were you going to ask? So basically,
0: what is the essential field tech? I mean, obviously, the the, the business that we do is uh, a service business, and the most important person in our organization, or the person who makes everything happen, is your technician. Um, it, you can liken it to a manufacturing process. This is your um, these, your, your technicians are your input, uh, to create your product and your product is your hours of pest control, uh, that you perform for, you know, businesses or residences and whatnot. And it's probably the, you know, uh, if, if you want to have a quality product, you have quality inputs and therefore you have to have quality field tech. So hopefully I didn't, uh, overthink the situation, but, uh, so basically, what we're going to talk about is this uh, essential field tech. So uh, what does this topic mean to you, Donnie? You're, you're running a uh, pest control company, Triangle. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lawn care company. What, what, what's the essential?
1: Uh, well, for sure. OK. So just mark everyone. By the way, it's Valentine's Day, and and if you can imagine Dan and I giving little heart eyes, uh, and that that's what's happening right now. We actually use the camera whenever we record these podcasts. But um, I will say this. So Dan nailed it when he opened it up, which is what he said. This, you know, when you think about your technicians, this is directly how you connect with your customer, and you know, in in pests or lawn or whatever. We don't spend money on fancy buildings. We don't need fancy conference rooms. We don't need any way at home to impress the customer but but you know we absolutely must impress them when they're out in the field and so, what does this topic mean? Um You know what is the essential field tech? It really comes down to this whole idea that the technician is your direct link to your customer. And whatever your customer experience, however you want your company represented, it is really the weakest link in your chain of technicians. And I want to tell a quick story because it just reminded me when you were talking about this, Dan. I had not planned on telling this story, but in our, you know, I started out in Raleigh. We, we are in we're in multiple markets now, but Raleigh was was where I started. And as you can imagine, there are several companies that are here. And I mean, you absolutely get a vibe of what kind of company you're dealing with depending on how the technician looks, how the truck looks, how the technician looks. And, you know, I, I mean, you remember the older days of working? What did those guys wear? Do you remember, Dan? And tie on,
0: same with uh, Terminex. Yeah. And, um, I think somebody from Terminex told me that they uh, uh, had uh, that they went to clip-on ties because uh, there was a guy who was working on his spray rig, and the tie got caught in the spray rig and pulled them right in. So they <laughs> so went that's the times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so but that's a, His, it's a very good point. The spray rig almost killed him. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, getting back to this whole idea of like, you know, what is, you know, what does this topic even mean the essential field tech? It's really a question of how do you want your company represented? And going back to my story, I remember one time this was back when I was actually doing termite inspections. I got called out to do a termite inspection and this particular homeowner had called. Uh, four different companies. I was, there was two national companies and two local companies and the national companies, as you can imagine, they showed up, they did their normal thing. They had their bump cap on, they had their tie, yada, yada, yada. The local company. So I was one of them. We, you know, back then we used to wear these kind of, um, we wore khaki pants and and we wore kind of these golf shirts. And then this other guy shows up and I'm not joking. Do, Do you know what jorts are, Dan? You don't know what, you don't know what jorts are. No. What is a jort? So jorts are jeans that are converted to shorts, just cut off jeans, right? Is this really a thing or did you make this up? I promise this is a true story. It is legend. If you talk (laughs) about it at triangle, this guy shows up with a pair of jorts on and, and I guess I'll just say it on the podcast. People call them wife beaters, right? The, the, (laughs) yes. Yes. So, And, yes. and it is, it is and, and by the way, this company is still operating, and I think quite a few folks know it. I'm not, obviously, not going to drop these, but my point here is, is that, you know, that company was cheaper than everyone, and, and that was their thing. I'm not, I'm not here to say it's right, wrong, or different, but, but the fact is, is that the values of the owner really come through in how your technician looks. And so today, we want to spend some time talking about, you know, what is the essential tech how do you make sure that you control that experience with your customer? And really, how do you put your best foot forward so that as you do this, you realize, hey, I have to put all my efforts into our frontline folks, And it, obviously, we could do another segment on the office, and I think we probably should. But the technician is probably the easiest place to start. So um, so dan, let's let's jump into this real quick. You know, oftentimes one of the things that we hear, at least I hear, is people who want salespeople for technicians. So, in your experience, you know, before we get into that, how a technician looks, let's let's talk about that for a moment. When we talk about, you know, it's all about the values of the owner. What do you think? Do you feel like there is a case where technicians can be good salespeople and good salespeople can be good technicians, or do you feel like this is something that is where, or something where it's it's mutually exclusive? so
0: there are exceptions to every rule but it's interesting because we have hundreds of clients and some of them are real high growth high flying companies that that grow like crazy and some are highly profitable and hardly grow at all uh and some just are you know still trying to figure it out but the interesting thing is that um usually it, you know, that that is the personality of the owner. So this, this, in my opinion, there's two ways to make money in pest control and lawn care. You either stay very small or you get large. It's that hmm, $500,000 to $2 million range where you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to bring in a manager and you go backwards. And mm-hmm. so what you're trying to do, is you're trying to kind of Um, put your mark on your community and so uh it's 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 kind of uh interesting that that the guy who stays small but does you know real high quality work very scientific and whatnot his he's doesn't have the sales mindset and then there are the high flyers who probably lack uh you know in their operations they're probably a little bit weaker but they're very sales oriented but when i had my pest control company and it was a long time ago. It was right about the time that they were doing those personality um, tests that they do quite a bit now. But those were just starting up then. And what, uh, you know, uh, I believe it was called Drake. um, And there are a bunch of them out there. But basically what it told us is that a salesperson and a technician have uh, opposite personalities. The technician is a, uh, you know, a problem solver who, you know, doesn't want to, uh, you know, start to, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, try and sell somebody or, or get into situations where, um, you know, he's, he's confronting somebody or, or, or anything else. He's just a, a problem solver. And the sales guy, he's an outgoing guy or gal who, uh, you know, they, 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 you know, want to sell and they want to please and and uh, they're trying to figure out ways to get that done. And it's usually rare and it definitely happens where you have crossover, but it's hard to find a technician who's a good technician operationally, who is a great salesman. They're out there, but they're hard to find.
1: I, I think fundamentally, there's it's just different personalities. You know, a really good technician is someone who's detail oriented, usually. um pretty focused, you know, salesperson's are very big picture. Where are we going? What are we doing? Um, you know, but but getting back to, and we've mentioned this on previous podcasts, which is, you know, okay, my personal opinion, and this is opinion, I have no empirical data to back this up, is that it's very rare that you have a very good technician who is also a very good salesperson. And I have tried, and we've talked about this in, you know in a previous episode, I've tried to turn our technicians into salespeople, and I failed. And what I have learned over the years is that while technicians may be, in general, not very good salespeople, um, they are fantastic lead generators. And, you know, that's for us. Uh, You know, again, are there companies out there who are able to have their technicians sell? Absolutely. Are there companies out there who are successfully doing it? I'm sure there are. I don't know very many. And I go back to kind of what Dan was just saying. You know, a lot of times when you see these companies that are growing extremely fast, generally speaking, they have salespeople who sell and technicians who service. They don't really blend the two. It's it's pretty rare that I see a company that um, that had that are growing. You know, they're they're exponentially growing and they're getting it from technician sales. You know, because fundamentally, it creates this this dynamic of where I need to get the work done. And I need to also sell. And to me, it creates it creates a situation where your technician's like a spork. Do you like a spork, Dan? You know what a spork is.
0: Uh, all these uh, different acronyms. I don't know what a spork is. I don't. Hey, come know on, what you know what a spork are. is. Or it's I, it's I, one of those no.
1: things where it's like it's a spoon and it's a fork and you know what I'm talking about a spork. Come on.
0: He was bullet born with a golden spork in his mouth. Was that? <laughs>
1: Well, no. you know the pro- you know the problem with a spork? No, <laughs> no, I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> The problem with a spork is that it sucks as a fork and it sucks as a spoon. Like it's trying to do two <laughs> things and it just sucks at both of them. And I really do feel like that's the same thing with technicians, right? It's if you want to have a really good, you know, service side of your business, focus on that, right? L- allow your technicians to get very uh, you know, down in the details, allow them to do a lot of training, you know, and that way they can solve the problems because at the end of the day, you can sell all day long, but if you can't follow through, it doesn't really matter. And same thing for salespeople, it's all about specialization. Um, I just don't see, you know, again, I don't want to beat this topic to death, but I I personally have not witnessed cases where a company has very good technicians who are also very good salespeople. So Um, You also need to be careful if you're going to if you've got a
0: terrific technician or terrific technicians, be careful about forcing them to sell because you'll make them unhappy and they may look around because you're pushing them outside their comfort zone. Again, there are exceptions. There's some, you know, some of the best salespeople in the industry I've met started as technicians. uh, And what makes them great salespeople is they have, you know, uh, uh, good knowledge of of what we really do. But um, it's not it's not the rule. It's, it's more the exception. So be careful about trying to do that. But let's, let's, let's explore this whole lead thing because we've got a whole bunch of clients who do that. And if you've got 10 or 20 or 30 technicians on the
1: road, my goodness, how many leads could you generate? Um, right. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So, and and again, we've talked about this in a previous podcast, but you know, For us, and and I'm speaking directly at Triangle, and I know a bunch of other companies that do kind of the same thing, we require at least five leads a week. And if you think about that, that is so easy for a technician. A technician in general is probably going to do 10 to, say, 18. I'd say 10 on the low end, 18 18 on the high end stops a day. They're going to see that many houses. Obviously, you offer services chances of them seeing at least one thing for the entire day is pretty freaking good. Um, And, you know, in the past, we actually, and this is, again, we could go down a rabbit hole with this one, but um, in the past, we used to have our technicians manage their leads. And so they would submit a lead. And the next day, they would call the customer. Hey, Mrs. Smith, I was out there yesterday. Well, that failed. I shouldn't say it failed. It just didn't work as well. What has really worked for us now is where the technician snaps a picture. You know, we have a form on our website. They submit the picture with the, you know, whatever they found. It goes to an outside sales team. They initiate a call and then a salesperson sells and a technician texts. Um, And so, you know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, I I got this idea from Bobby Jenkins. Actually, we went down to ABC and Dan and I probably about three or four years ago. And I was looking at how they were doing that. And this is exactly what they were doing is they were having their technicians <clears throat> on site. And, of course, Bobby, I don't know how many services he's up to now. Any guesses, Dan? 18. Mm-hmm. I, I think they built Tiki huts and. Yeah. <laughs> HVAC, and uh,
0: it's you know, total home services. And, and yes. listen, he makes it work, and he's got a big company, and he's pretty successful. But, yeah, I saw him do it, and he actually uh, commissioned a guy, uh, uh, Tess Jane, to uh, write a program. I think it's called Lead Now, uh, yeah where yeah. basically um, – it's for technician leads and and how do you push them through the system? It used to be the technician would turn in the lead and never hear from you again. And if you paid him a commission, maybe he got it when, when a sale was made, but he didn't really know what was going on with that lead. And, um, you know, this software and there's others out there as well, but, uh, it, it kind of allows that technician to see, you know, okay, if you're going to make me, give you a lead, I want to know what's going to happen with it. And if you're going to give me some sort of spiff on the lead, either commission or, you know, just a, a dollar amount or whatever, I I want to know. And so some of these softwares are pretty neat. But if you think about how many technicians, as Donnie said, um, they have on the road, how many stops a week they're doing, how many leads that that could generate, maybe those leads are as good as you know, leads that are coming in from digital or other sources. And maybe they're not, but I'll tell you what, they're a whole lot cheaper. And uh, so that brings down your overall lead cost. And uh, it's a
1: terrific way to, um, you
0: know, to build your, your, your
1: sales funnel. I, I think the other important thing here to remember is you get what you incentivize. You know, one of the things that I learned from Bobby of many, I should say, uh, when we were down there, and we've implemented this at Triangle, is if a technician turns in lead he or she gets paid for that lead regardless of the outcome of that lead and of course it you know it ratchets up depending on if we get a sell and how good the lead is and those types of things but you know if you work in a triangle and you see something and you turn it in you're going to get a reward Now it may not be much but you're going to get something um, and I think that's another a key part of getting your you know getting your technicians to buy into becoming lead generators because obviously we have standards and we're going to talk a little bit about this later on and we have a scorecard and we track how many leads and we force that right if you don't generate leads and you refuse to do it eventually you will be given the opportunity to work for another company if you're a triangle if you refuse to do that but at the same time. Um, we're also going to incentivize you financially to do that as well. And so you know bringing that back around to before we get into other parts of this of this podcast, I, I want to kind of return back where we started, which is it really comes down to the, there, there's really two things as an owner that you need to decide. Number one, how do I want my company represented in front of the customer? Like what is the ideal? experience that I want our customers to experience when they are with one of our technicians. How does the truck look? How does the technician look? How how well spoken is the technician? How professional is the technician? What does the technician know? Really thinking through what that looks like, being very clear on that. And then number two, once you've determined this is the ideal customer experience that I want, number two, how do I train and bring up all of our technicians to deliver that experience. And and I want to, okay, Dan, I'm going to get on a soapbox here just for a moment. One of the things that I see a lot um, and it frustrates me is that I think a lot of owners are very, very clear on the ideal customer experience. Some people write it down. I think you absolutely should. Some don't, they just kind of have it in their head, which basically means they don't have one. Um, but they don't invest in training. And so I want to spend a little bit of time on that. And before I jump on this soapbox, Dan, I want to just ask you, what have you seen operators who are very, very good at training, how do they go about doing it? And, and you know what, what tools are they using? I mean, we obviously at Triangle, we have some, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this, but ha- have you seen this done well? And, and for folks that are doing it well, um, how are they doing it? Well, it's kind of an evolution.
0: So I've been in the business
1: for quite a while,
0: and it used to be that you would, uh, you know, your distributors and manufacturers would put on, um, you know, little seminars and send your technicians to it, and and it was multiple companies and whatnot. And what what where it's evolved is if you, you know, I think everybody or if you're not under a rock, you've seen these learning softwares where you actually have self study and you teach and you. Uh, take exams and you hold people accountable and whatnot, and so that's kind of where training has has evolved too. Um, and I I think that um, the the, the, the um, y- you were alluding to all this experience. And uh, when I got well, when I was younger, there were a few acronyms for the people in the C suite, and that was CEO, CFO, maybe the CIO was uh, chief information. <laughs> Um, officer. Lately, I've seen, I've seen this in the last couple of weeks, a couple of times, CXO, chief experience officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting and it's not just our industry. So, um, you know, people are well aware of this and, uh, um, you know, it's a deliberate plan, right? It's not, um, you know, uh, maybe the, the technician does a good job and maybe he doesn't. It's, you know, um, you know, it's, it, it's a plan of, of what the technician's going to do, how he's going to do it and um, how he's going to act, how he's going to look, um, you know, so, so that's what we're seeing.
1: And and all of that takes training. And, and one of the things I will say that I see it's pretty common is, um, you know, Everyone likes the idea of training. No one likes it when they're down a technician. No one likes it when um, there's a ton of stuff to do. No one likes it in busy season. Um, and I fight this even in at Triangle. Um, and there's been a few times that we fell off the boat and, and we had to get it back on. So, so two points out of this. Number one, when you invest in training, it, it is absolutely the one thing. That, you know, you can't attribute like, well, I invested, let's just say, 100 grand in training and I got a million dollars in value. It's very difficult to do that. But one of the things I can't say is the more you invest in training, the better all of your numbers get. That, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that there's never going to be a good time to train. Like, just get that out of your brain. Right. <laughs> do it consistently. Do it every week you know, at, at Triangle, we do two meetings a week with our technicians. One is a technical training and the other one is a customer service training. That has been a staple in our in our process since I started the business back in 2006. Not saying that's the way that you should do it. Obviously, other people do it differently. Some people do it better. That's the way that we do it. I think the main thing is, is that number one, commit to training, no matter what. And number two, um, know that you know you're just going to have to make it a priority because everything absolutely gets better from that so as far as how training long,
0: how how long are those training sessions and who designs them that's a that's 104 sessions a year who uh that sounds like a lot of prep work
1: it is and so one of the things that we do is we actually use outside vendors for this and we we actually put together a calendar at the beginning of the year and we have these meetings spec out now a meeting that we planned in November, meaning like it's, it's, let's just say it's, you know, November and we're prepping for the next year. We may plan a meeting for say October, the following year. Now, sometimes that may not happen, right? We, we may have, we may start having a problem with callbacks or call, you know, a problem with a a specific insect and we'll call an audible and we'll say, okay, this week we're going to do this, but we send that calendar out to our vendors and we say, Hey, look, we we want you to teach a class on this date. And and the other thing that we do is we bring um you know our our vendor in that does you know our distributor and what's new, right? What new products do you have? And it's almost like a sales presentation to the technicians. Now, do I always invest in stuff that they show? No. And sometimes they show some wacky stuff. And can I say that every single meeting is is productive? Well, I would like to think so. Obviously, I don't like wasting people's time, but it's that you know, that weekly discipline of technical training and weekly discipline of customer service training. And so so that's the technical side is that, you know, usually it's the branch manager. Usually it's, you know, we, we also have what we call leads. Sometimes they share that. And then on a the client experience side, you know, the customer service side, it's usually the branch manager. Every now and then we'll give something to a technician to go through. But the goal here is is that, you know, I think this is gonna sound awful to say, I think it's more culture building when you do those trainings than it is like the content is important. And please don't take me saying this as saying it doesn't matter what you train. What I will say is that that habit and that pattern and that constant, just coming back to technical constant, coming back to customer service. It does an awful lot for your, for your culture. And so I would would be less people, people who, uh, realize that you're investing their, your
0: time. and I mean, you're paying them. So right. it's, it's you know, the, the, I would imagine it, it does quite a bit for culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, uh, I, I think the main thing there is that you got to invest in it. Again, going back through thinking through you know what is the ideal experience and and just realize everything's a process right you, you 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 put in the fundamentals you start doing the trainings and then you just let time work its magic and eventually what's going to happen is that folks that don't necessarily line up with your vision are going to leave and folks who do are going to excel and and attract more folks that do so so well, then when let's, well, we can-
0: when we do these podcasts, usually we have a light outline, and there's a couple of points here that I think are really important that I'd love to to expand on. Is um, and and you know, in my accounting firm, we have job descriptions. Um, you have something called position agreements. What yes. is a position agreement? Why is it important? How do you use it?
1: Yeah. We, you know, I need to link one of these uh, in in the show notes. Um, you know, I I loathe job descriptions. In fact, I freaking hate them. Um, mainly because, you know, what are we taught about job descriptions? Well, they should be generic. They should be, you know, so you you know you, you want them to be generic so that folks, you know, when you ask them to do something, you're like, well, it's part of your your job description. The problem with that is is that it doesn't communicate clearly what it is that you expect you know one of the things that is set in traction and it's also said in the book e-myth is that you really got to look at your business through the eyes of accountability and what that means is is that okay the business needs this what position is accountable to produce that result and so that's why i have a position agreement meaning that for this position here are the accountabilities here are the responsibilities and and the backside of that is an agreement meaning that i want both the manager and the person who's filling that seat to agree that this is how things are going to work and if you ever look at a position agreement at triangle what you're going to see is that there are very specific things and it ties directly to the review so for example if dan if you worked for me and you were a technician There's going to be a few things I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at your production. I'm going to look at your callback percentage. I'm going to look at your sales. I'm going to look at your customer service. Now, there's more things that we're going to look at, but that's going to be in the position agreement. And not only is that going to be in the position agreement, there's going to be expectations set as to what you should be, how you should be performing. And then when we meet again next quarter and we do a review or whatever. That's going to directly tie out to that review. So when I sit down and say, okay, Dan, this is how you're doing, we're going to start with production, then we're going to go to callback percent, then we're going to go back to sales, and then we're going to go back to customer service. And so it really comes down to I don't like broad and I don't like fuzzy. I, you know, obviously there has to be a little bit of that. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's it's but but at the same time, you want there to be clarity, like this position is responsible for producing this result for the business. And there's actually
0: put (laughs) numbers
1: into that when, when somebody's just
0: joining, you need to do this much in production. You need this many leads or sales or whatever.
1: we, We put standards in there and they're kind of the floor, right? You have to be at least at this level. Of course we have, you know, folks who compete and folks who do better, but at the end of the day, if you're not meeting the standard, well, then that's a problem. Um, and, 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 you know, and that's not to say that someone's bad or whatever. I mean, it may be mean some additional training. It, you know, there, there may be multiple reasons as to why that's happening. So that's but that's the that's that's kind of the team member side of the agreement. The other side of the agreement is the manager's side. And, and you know, a job description gives zero accountability for a manager. And how many times have you seen a manager who was just not engaged, not engaged in helping the person get where they need to get? And so if you look on our position agreements, there's actually a thing where the manager buys into the team member and says, I'm going to do everything I can to help you maintain reach and maintain these standards. And so both people, it's an agreement, right? It's an agreement that, look, I'm going to these are these are the accountability. This is what I'm accountable for. Here's here's the results that I'm going to produce team member. And here I am as a manager, I'm going to support you any way that I can. And we're going to agree that this is how this is going to go down. Once that is done, then that those, you know, those agreements, I mean, again, we call them, you know, KPIs, whatever, those get directly measured on that team member's review. And so there's no like ambiguity, right? The the thing I want to cut out is any kind of political process. So so it comes time for, say, Dan's review. And for the last, say, month, Dan has been fantastic. But the other 11 months, he's a piece of shit, right? He gives me a hard time. He does this. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Then then what's going to happen is, well, it it works in reverse, (laughs) right? You got someone who's really like, did just awesome 11 months. And then, like, the last month they've been struggling. That's the recency effect. When you've got standards and you've got numbers and you've got clarity, Now you can be much more objective and you can communicate a lot clearer. This is what this role is all about. And so it just it really helps both the team member and it helps the manager realize and everyone be on the same page. Like, look, this is what's getting it for the business, because the fact is, is if you don't have this, it really comes down to the relationship between the manager and the team member. And, you know, you, sometimes- do you
0: update these agreements like uh, so I've been with the company a year. So now the
1: expectations
0: are higher. I've been five years or
1: whatever. You Where know, is it? We don't. I mean, we have kind of a baseline standard. And then after that, it's kind of a per employee kind of deal. Right. I mean, we have we do what we call ILPs in our company now. And, and by the way, I got this idea from Fox. It's a fantastic idea. It's not a new idea. It's just us implementing it. And then that person's kind of chasing their own, you know, they're they're trying to get better within themselves. But but the fact is, is that the standards are the standards. You know, you as a business owner, you as a manager, whatever you have to think through, like, this is what the business needs and then make it very, very clear in a position agreement that, you know, hey, if this position produced this results then the business is getting what it needs. And, you know, ultimately, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it so that um That person understands it. The manager understands it. And both are, you know, completely committed and agree to that. That's what they're going to work towards. And so that is it. What is is an ILP? What is it? Yeah. So that's an ILP is what's called an individual leadership uh, plan. And what that is. Is it's a time and and again, this is something I learned from from Fox. I, I don't know why I didn't think to do it in my own company, but but they are fantastic at this. And essentially it's when you sit down with a person and you say, okay, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to accomplish? And that may be, you know, we talk about personal and we talk about we talk about one personal and we talk about one business and you know, for their role. And so for a technician that might mean and not by the way, not everyone buys into these. I've got folks in our company who are fully vested and they're just killing it personally. They're doing great in their role. And we got some other folks that like, yeah, this is something that Donnie makes me do. And it sounds great and rah, rah, rah. And they don't really engage. <laughs> but yeah. the yeah. fact is, is that the right folks really take off on this because they know that you're invested in them. And quite frankly, they they perform better, you know, both in life and in business. So, um, all right, so what was the other one that you want to jump into? That, we, so, so, yeah, so we, we, you know, we're we getting to the end, but one of the
0: other ones that's important, and, and I find this one really important because we do it in our accounting firm, um, and we actually sent uh, for those, uh, you know, who know my partner, Anthony, we actually sent him up to Harvard Business School, uh, and he took a course on creating balanced scorecards, and we run the accounting firm on balanced scorecards. Everybody knows what they're. Their score is uh, on a monthly basis, actually, during the month. And, um, uh, you know, the scorecards are worth points the way we do it. The the um, There you go. <laughs> actually, uh, Robert Kaplan was, uh, Donnie's holding up the book called The Balance Scorecard, Robert Kaplan. Robert Kaplan was one of the professors that taught Anthony's course. And um, so anyway, uh, so we uh, I'll let Donnie explain it as it relates to, you know, pest and lawn, but we use it um, in in several areas, uh, turn it into points, turn it into bonuses and um it it's not just money we we, you know i find we we've got a client manager who you know going along she's terrific and everything else but man i'll tell you what i didn't know how competitive she was until we created this uh this scorecard so how do you well first define what a balanced scorecard is and how do you use it in a home
1: services business yeah so a couple disclaimers before we get into this topic and i know we're getting close to the end here but the this book that that we use and and this professor that Dan is talking about. By the way, I don't know this guy. This is obviously not a paid advertisement, but <laughs> <laughs> I wish it were. We need to bring him on. But no, it, the book is called. We probably should. Let's let's probably uh, should. Yeah. So it's a huge book. It's it's from Harvard. It's a you know two hundred some pages. It's a dry read. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. But it's absolutely good. And, and the whole idea behind this book is that when it comes to people performance, you know, you really need to make sure. That you don't incentivize all in one direction because you're probably not going to get what you want in that case. I mean, and I think of the case of Wells Fargo, right, and the big meltdown that we had and people were creating accounts and, you know, they were they they had these high pressure commissions and and folks were really doing some uneth- some unethical things because they were incentivized to do that with no balancing or competing metric to balance that out. And you, you see this in companies, right? You see a company that's all about profit, they have zero growth. A company's all about growth, they have zero profit. And so really it's all about thinking through the position and how do I create, you know, these competing metrics that really bring out the best or the you know the best client experience I'm trying to have. And so when you think about a technician, you know, they're pretty standard things, right? So you want them produced, okay, but what's the competing metric in production? It's callbacks. Right. I mean, I can go out and hell, I can produce 20 yards or 20, you know, 20 houses a a, a day. But if my callback percentage is 50 percent, well, that's not that's not a very good. I'm still not a good technician. I'm producing like crazy, but there's no balancing incentive. And so it's really just thinking through your ideal client experience. Okay, you want a technician to be very, uh, you know, you want them to be very very fast, very efficient. But let's just say their customer service sucked right they they never took time with customers well then that's a competing metric and so it's all about taking what it is that you want in your ideal experience and making sure that your incentives are balanced out such and, and it produces the ideal client experience and so this book it's called the balanced scorecard is by robert Kaplan and david norton it is a snore to read we'll put a link up to it it's actually kind of difficult to find i was glad to see about a year ago they created a kindle version and i don't I showed this book on the camera. Of course, no one can see it here on the podcast. I was showing it. Dan. It is. I have three books on my bookshelf. All the rest are Kindle. I, I, and one of them is B2. But I, I actually had to get this because I couldn't get the Kindle version. And so but long story short, if if you are looking to really enable your technicians and, and create this ideal experience, you cannot just be focused on production. You cannot just be focused on. Um, Callback percents. Of course, that that is operationally speaking, those are important. But you also need to be looking at can they generate leads? Can they talk to customers? What are customers, you know, what's their experience when they talk to this person? And this whole idea of making sure that you incentivize the ideal client experience and creating these competing metrics such in a way that the technician doesn't lose sight of what's really important. So does that make sense? One of the real, yeah, one of the real important things is not to
0: have too many categories. So I'm looking at our balanced scorecard. We have 13 different categories, but within that there's four results, which are obviously production and monthly production, whatnot Uh, growth. That would be a number of upsells. Uh, we have accountability. So um, you know, in in our uh uh, world uh, we track our client managers and how um, how long they're on the phone with clients we have a phone system that tracks that and then uh, we have learning uh, how much uh, you know that there's continuing professional education and those are the four categories that we you know everything has to emanate from those four categories um, but uh, the book that you held up is is really terrific I, I highly recommend it there there are actually several books and, and there are a bunch of articles if uh, you know not 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 to not to be a blue blood like uh, Donnie, but if you read the Harvard Business Review, um, <laughs> these guys have, have, have written articles, and it's uh, you know really uh, um, you know uh, it, 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 the, the whole concept. Once you really get it, it's pretty simple and pretty intuitive, but it's a real aha. And so balance scorecards are a, a, a pretty cool way of. Uh,
1: yeah. And, and, and for the record, I don't read so good. Just Dan, I know Dan's painting there. So <laughs> I will. Uh, I will glad know. So it's good. So anyway. All right. Well, hopefully, you know, obviously we're here. We're here at the end. Dan, this has been fantastic. I, I mean, we could, I mean, literally, you could take any one of these specialties and we could spend an entire hour just talking about them. I think to wrap up here, I think the main point, you know, what is the essential field tech? It really comes down to what do you value? And then how do you create, you know, a system where you create this ideal team experience? And thinking through what that looks like. And there's a lot to that, right? There's training there is incentivizing there is you know i mean you know there's there's you know getting clear on what the accountabilities are and you know enabling your managers as well as your team members in order to do that and so you know hopefully um you picked up something from this i know every time we do one of these i always pick up something um and we'll link in um we'll link in this book the balance scorecard and a few other things that we talked about dan anything else you want to uh talk about before we finish up here
0: well i think that that's uh That's another wrap. I think uh, it's really important, Um, you know, just, you know, your technicians are your raw materials for your product. remember that. And you want high quality raw materials. And uh, in order to do that, they've got to be trained well. They've got to be, you know, reflect the the values of you and your company.
1: And, um, you know, so uh, a great topic. And one thing, one last thing I'll end on here is. I, I feel like I have I have definitely had a good day, and that I taught Dan what jorts are. And if you don't know what jorts are, Google it. So I will not take. That. Well, and then and then I'm trying to the wife beater. I'm trying to, uh,
0: <laughs> and I'm looking on, on. There's nothing politically correct. There's no. No, do that. not Come Google that. Shot. By the way, do not <laughs> Google that.
1: So. All right, guys. Till so, next time. We'll see ya. All right.